mind, but um, one of the things that I know is true, no matter where you were at, you saw the glory of God. You saw the glory of God, whether you described a, a golf course and the beauty that you saw there, or whether it's a river or a stream, or for me, it's up on top of a mountain. Wherever it is, I'm struck by the majesty and the glory of God, and we need to know that is by design. God has made the earth and all that is in it. God has made the universe and all that we see, all things that are visible and invisible, for His glory. That we see these things and behold, we worship God the Maker. Today we're starting into a new series in our Bible. You're going to have a really easy time turning to our passage for today because it's the first page of your Bible. It's in Genesis chapter 1. So if you want to turn there, that would be great. What we're getting ready to do now for the summer, we're going to spend some time in Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And I have really thought about what we would call this and and where I've landed is that this is our beginnings. In Genesis 1 through 11, we see the beginning of so many things. And I'm looking forward to spending some weeks talking about things like the beginning of man, the beginning of creation, the beginning of marriage, the beginning of family, the beginning of sin, the beginning of God's promise that He would deal with sin, the beginning of judgment, the beginning of languages, the beginning of culture, the beginning of religion. It's all here in Genesis 1-11. through And I'm very excited to, to spend some time talking about what the Lord has to say about our beginnings. But before we get into that, I want to tell you another story about my upbringing um, to kind of illustrate the way that, that it feels when we talk about beginnings. Now, in my hometown, there was a public pool, okay? Just like maybe there was in your hometown, all right? And we would go there in the summers, ride our little bikes all the way into town, okay? Five, six miles, we'd bicycle into town and go swimming for the day. Something that we would do when I was a kid. Probably talking like 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. I remember one summer day, I biked into town, me and my neighbor kids around me, you know, we, we rode our bikes into town, we're at the pool. And when you go to a public pool, and you're a kid, and you have a few dollars cash to spend at the snack bar, right, to get french fries and, you know, healthy snacks like that, um, what you do, now I, I'll fill you in a little secret, this is what I finally figured out, the place to hide your money is in your shoe. Like we all don't know that, right? See, that's what you do, you know, you have this money, you're going to go swimming, so you... You know, you look around and you, you tuck those couple dollar bills down the bottom of your shoe like nobody would ever crack this case, right? Nobody would ever figure out where he put his money. Well, one day I had, you know, three, four dollars and I put it in the bottom of my shoe and underneath my towel, you know, an extra safety procedure there so that then it's just, you know, no way it could be stolen. And I looked over when I'm in the pool and there's a bunch of kids, kids I know from school, digging around in my stuff. And I see one of them has my shoe. And I came out of the water ready to fight, let me tell you. And so I went over there, I'm like, hey, you guys, what are you doing? Get out of my stuff. You know, you can't take my money. I saw you were digging around in my shoe. I'm talking to one guy, okay? And I'm, I'm confronting him about taking my dollar bills. Well, all of a sudden, I don't know where these people came from. But instantly, I am surrounded by like 15 of his friends 
okay? And they're ready to just take my head off because I was accusing him of stealing that money. Now, I came to confront that kid, and he had my dollars. I know he did. To this day, I know he stole it. But instantly, I'm surrounded now by a dozen boys that want to take me out. Now, it might surprise you to know that I don't feel comfortable fighting one on 12, okay? And I know that might come as a shock to you, but... That's not something that I look forward to doing. And now I'm easy trying to get out of this situation, right? And I've got these kids now, and they're getting up in my face closer, and, you know, I'm getting pushed against the fence, and, and I mean, I'm getting ready to get hurt. And all of a sudden, thank the Lord, Coach Turbin, which some of you know this person, he worked at the pool, and he was a coach, and so obviously he was a big guy. And all of a sudden, from like across the, the whole field there by the pool, he goes, Hey, boys, knock it off! And now, what, what happened? All 12 of them, like cockroaches, you know, they all just squirt away. And there I was. Now, in that moment, I felt so safe in the arms of Coach Turbin, right? Now, I'll tell you that story to illustrate the truth. When we come to the issue of our beginnings, we are surrounded by people today who tell us that the Bible is not correct when it comes to beginnings. You know, whether it's the textbooks that we read, the professors we sit under, the television we watch, every single periodical that comes across our through our mailbox, every time you watch the news. Every single place we go, we find somebody else who surrounds us to tell us it is not true that in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. I understand that. And I know it feels very, very intimidating. And you feel like you're backed now against the fence and they're all gathering around me like bulls ready to take me out, right? Well, what I want us to do What I want us to do as followers of the Lord, I want us to look to God. I want us to look to what the Lord has to say about the beginnings. And just like I was thankfully able to lean on the coach turban that day, and he brought me safety and protection, I want us to lean to the Lord. I want us to lean to the Lord and go to Him. And not be so afraid of what what those have to say around us, But I want us to go to what the Bible has to say about our beginnings. Don't you think we need that? Don't you think we need to hear what the Bible has to say? Because I'm tired of being surrounded by bulls. I'm tired of being surrounded by that. And I want to have God's Word to support and to hold me up. Now let me just say a couple things that you know already off the bat. Number one, I am not a scientist. Okay? I am not a scientist. So just you can get over that. I am not going to fall into the trap of trying to use science to support the fact that the Bible is true. I'm not going to fall into that trap. I think science has some value, of course. And you ask the question, well, what about when science and the Bible contradict? Because I'm going to talk about things like creation. I'm going to talk about things like where did the universe come from? I'm going to talk about things like where does man come from. I'm going to talk about the fact, I'm going to talk about dinosaurs. I'm going to talk about Noah's Ark. I'm going to talk about that at that time, 
Every single creature on living on the earth that was living, other than those in the ark, was wiped out. Now, these things are... Um, people mock this all the time. And you ask the question, well, what about when science and the Bible contradict? Can I tell you? That they never do. They never do. God's world and God's word do not contradict. What happens is scientists often disagree with God's word. But God's world does not. You see, we have to understand something. Everybody, everybody prioritizes and interprets. Everybody prioritizes and interprets. Some scientists, not all scientists, you need to know that, not all scientists, some scientists look at science and they come to a conclusion. They interpret and they prioritize. And that scientist may disagree with God's Word. But I want to tell you where I come from. I am not a scientist. I'm a biblicist. That's what I am. And what that means is, I prioritize the Bible. I interpret what the Bible has to say, and I prioritize it. The Bible is the queen of sciences for me. You say, well, how can you do that, Lowell? How can you do that? This was was written literally thousands of years ago. And I agree with that. And here is the limitation for all scientists. They weren't there. They were not there. There is only one who was there when God created the heavens and the earth. And He has told us in no uncertain terms how He created the heavens and the earth. And I will give Him priority. Know that as we go into this. A couple things. Other things. I'm not going to answer every single question that you have. Okay? I can't. Why? Because I wasn't there. I can't answer every single question that you have. I understand that. I understand that there are people who are very smart and who have, who have a lot of letters after their name who are going to disagree with most everything that I'm going to say for the next 13 weeks. But I want to ask you this. At what point, where is the dividing line that we say popularity makes our decision? Where is the dividing line that majority rules? Where is that line? I encourage you that we as believers in Christ, we need to wrestle with that question. For instance, you say, well, when we look at creation, the scientific opinion is that God's Word is incorrect in matters of creation. The scientific opinion is that God's Word is incorrect. Okay, so does that mean that you're going to capitulate? Does that mean that you're now going to give science priority? Because here's, the, here's another fact. The popular scientific opinion is 
that there's nothing wrong with abortion. That is the popular scientific opinion. Are you going to capitulate on that? Are you going to say, okay, we'll give that priority? What about in the area of racism? You need to realize that in nearly every single culture that has hurt others over race, they have brought themselves up scientists who have supported that view through their scientific interpretation. So what if the scientific popular opinion is that one race is better than the other? Are you then going to go ahead and give in to that as well? What about those that say that homosexuality is something we're born with and we can't tell people that they can't do that? Are we going to now give in to scientific opinion then? What is the line? What is the line where you will say, No, God, you are second? As a biblicist, that line had better not ever exist. Let me tell you some more things about myself. I'm not a scientist. I'm a biblicist. I'm not going to answer every single question that you have. Okay? I hold to a six literal day, a solar, six solar day creation. Okay? I do not believe this happened over millions of years. You would call me a young earth creationist. I don't really like that term. But I believe that the creation occurred recently. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know it's not millions or billions of years. I interpret the Bible, including the first 11 chapters of Genesis, through a normal hermeneutic. That means I read it, I understand what, it me- what the words mean, what the culture means, and I take its value as it is. I'm a biblicist. That means I give authority, I accept the authority of God's Word in all areas. So understand, everything I'm going to say for the next 13 weeks falls under that umbrella. And I would say this, it is a big deal. If God is not the Creator... If God's word is false, on page one, if God is not the, not the creator, then what makes you so sure he's the redeemer? I would challenge you with this. When we see what the scientists, not all of them, grant you, not all of them, but when we see what the scientists say, And we see what God's Word, and I'm going to show you today what God's Word says. When we see what the scientist has to say, many of them, and what God's Word has to say, you must come to a why in the road. And it's this. Someone is wrong. Someone is deceived. Either the scientist who says that all of this came to be through natural means or the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, truly believes that He made the heavens and the earth. So we are going to come to a why in the road. 
And we are going to have to stand there and we're going to have to point our finger one direction or another and say, you are either deceived, Spirit of God, or you are deceived, naturalistic scientist. What say you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I ask you for your help this morning as we're going to charge through your word. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us a sensitive heart, Lord, to trust you and to believe you. God, I thank you that you created us and that you redeemed us and that you love us and you are true and real. Lord, this is not a figment of our imagination. Now guide us, we pray, Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 1 and uh, turn there to chapter 1 of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, there is a, uh, some words here that are important to us. I want you to notice, first of all, uh, the title, okay? Genesis. This is the beginning, okay? This is based upon a Hebrew word. We'll get there in just a minute, but it's the beginning. And as I've already said, if this is incorrect... If the book of Genesis is incorrect, Genesis 1 through 11 particularly, is incorrect, then everything else that follows is holding suspect. Dr. Al Mohler said this quote. I'll put a quote up on the screen for you. He said this, Theological disaster ensues when the book of nature, that is general revelation, that is all that we see, is used to trump God's special revelation when science is placed over Scripture as authoritative and compelling. Theological disaster comes after that. And I challenge you, with look at the status and the state of our culture today, are we not seeing disaster? Are we not seeing the the truth of this? That when the foundation is shaken, when, when, when we come in and attack the very foundation of who God is and what He did, everything that's built upon it now crumbles. And we're walking in a theological disaster. Okay, Genesis. The word Genesis comes from a word that you'll find in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Go there with me, would you? Genesis 2, chapter 4. In Genesis 2-4, you see the word toledoth. Now that is the Hebrew word in verse number 4 of chapter 2 that ESV translates generations. These are the generations of the heavens and earth when they were created. Now the Hebrew word, as I already shared with you, is different than the Greek word. You see, the Old Testament was written in the language of Hebrew, most of it. Written in Hebrew. But there came a time when many, many people spoke the language of Greek, okay? And then the Old Testament was translated into something called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, this word generations, it can also be translated origins or ancestry. This is the word Genesis in Greek. And so we get our name of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, from Genesis 2-4. And that word, Genesis, is all through the book of Genesis. It's there over and over and over. It really, it, it develops a structure for the book of Genesis. So this is where your title comes from. Now go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The Hebrew Bible... 
In other words, the Old Testament in the language that it was first written in, that Moses wrote in 1400 B.C. approximately, written in Hebrew, and the first book of the Bible actually takes the first word of the Bible as its name, Bereshith, and it means beginning. And so the, the title of this first book in the Hebrew is basically Beginnings. And that's what we have here. And as we, as we go through this, uh, I want you to know that there is a definite, there's a definite line between Genesis 1 through 11 and Genesis 12 through 51. Genesis 1 through 11, you could say that is sort of prehistory. Okay? And Genesis 12 and beyond is a historical view of, of what happened to people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. So we're going to spend our time in Genesis 1 through 11. We're going to talk about when did the creation occur? How did God create? How long did it take? And really answer the question is, is this actually the Word of God? Now, I recognize that people have different views of where we came from. Okay? And, and we'll talk about that next week when we go past Genesis 1. We're going to talk about Genesis 1-1 today only. Next week we're going to talk about other views that people have about creation and, and answer some of those. But, but I want to look at Genesis 1-1 now. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now this, this in the beginning, speaks to not the beginning of God's activity, but the beginning of history. Now you realize God was doing something before Genesis 1-1, right? This is the beginning of history. This is the beginning of the universe and the earth and, and all that there is. But God predates this. God has no beginning. God has no end. He is eternal. And you say, well, what was God doing before Genesis 1-1? What was He doing? Well, we have that all through Scripture. I just want to read maybe one or two verses to you. Listen to what Jesus said in John 17-5. Jesus said this, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence. Now listen, John 17-5 with the glory that, that I had with you, Jesus speaking now says, glorify me with the glory I had when I was with you before the world existed. Genesis 1.1 is the beginning of history, but it is not the beginning of God. God is eternal. It says, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Now, Elohim is a plural word. It's, the, it's a name given for God. Anybody know another name for God? Say it if you do. Okay, good, good. We have Yahweh and we have Elohim. There are others, Adonai and, and lots of others. But in Genesis chapter 1, God identifies himself with the name Elohim. Now, this was a very common name in the time of Moses for gods. It basically meant God. Okay? And Elohim is a... Now, think about what this means. It's a plural word. Elohim is plural. But the verbs that are used are singular. Now, think about what that means. Okay? Let me give you an example of that. I could say, I am singing. I am singing. In that example, I... Is that plural or singular? Singular. I am singing. Or I could say, we are singing. Okay? So that's, now is that singular or plural? Plural. We are singing. I am singing. What if I said, we am singing? We am singing. 
what would you say? You need to go back to like fifth grade grammar class, right? You'd say, something's wrong. And that's true here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is plural, but the verbs are singular. You can see this in Genesis 1.26. Look down here with me, would you? Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. What do we see here in Genesis chapter 1? From the very beginning, what do we see? The Trinity. Here it is that God is plurality within singularity. That God is one God but has three different co-equal persons. Now, why I, I, the reason why I want to hit this so hard is you need to recognize this truth about God. God goes beyond our comprehension. It is the nature of creatures who are in a sin-cursed world to try to take God and cram Him into a box that fits my liking. That's our nature. Romans chapter 1. We do that. But God goes beyond our comprehension. You even see it in the pronouns and the verbs that He uses for Himself. We serve a mighty God. In the beginning, Bereshith, God created... Now, this is the Hebrew word bara. Now, that might not mean much for you, but let me tell you some things about this word created. You see it there? In the beginning, God created. And what's interesting about this word is the only time it's ever used, this word create, the only time it's ever used in our Bible is when God is the subject. No man borrows. Only God does this. Only God creates. Now, I know you can sit down and you you might be a really creative person and you might create a poem and you might create a picture or you might create like some lovely thing out of wood, but you didn't borrow it. No, 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 no. Only God does this. Now, one of the authorities on the Hebrew language is a guy named W-something Vines, okay? Now, listen to what Vi- how Vines explains this word. He says, the verb expresses, now listen to this, the word bara expresses creation out of nothing. Wow. Do we need to go any further? The word expresses creation out of nothing. An idea seen clearly in passages having to do with creation on a cosmic scale. And then he quotes, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It's used 53 times in our Old Testament. Okay? 53 times in 45 different verses. And the only person that does it is God. That's it. That's it. Now, what we have here, okay, is that God created all there is. It's the Latin term, okay, you'll hear this once in a while, is ex nihilo, okay, out of nothing. God made the heavens and the earth out of nothing. You say, well, how did he do it? How did he do it? The Latin word we use for that is he did it by fiat. And what that means is he spoke 
and it happened. God said, let there be light, and it was so. God said, let there be seed-bearing plants, and it was so. God said, let there be these lights that will rule the night and the day, and it was so. God said, there'll be animals, and it was so. God said, let there be a man, and it was so. Over and over and over, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, let me talk about that phrase, okay? I want to nail this pretty quick. The heavens and the earth. Now, some people look at that and are like, well, okay. So here's what this means. When you look up and you see the sky, okay, you see the heavens and you see the earth, and God made, I guess, those two things. Maybe God made that, and maybe God made this, and, and then evolution took over. Okay? Like there's, there's a lot of different terms for what that is, but it's not an understanding of what this verse means. Okay? It's not an understanding of what this is. This is a, now I'm, gonna, I'm using big words here on you, but just stay with me. This is a literary construct. It's called a mirrorism. Okay? And if you got married, you practiced this. You stood at an altar, and some guy in a suit like me stood there, and I said, do you take, you know, so-and-so, do you take so-and-so for better or for worse? In sickness and in health, for richer for poor. Remember, remember making a vow like that? Okay? I was there. I remember. That's a mirrorism. Here's what this is. It's when you give two, you construct two expressions. And those two expressions represent those two extremes and everything in between. If you come to me and you say, I want to divorce my wife. Why? Well, because we're not rich and we're not poor. And I only promised her and richer or for poor. Right? I'd say, you are just, you are self-deceived, my friend. You see, the Hebrews had no word for the universe. If God had said in 1400 BC, I'm going to tell you everything I made. And he started listing out everything, okay? And I can't get very far on my list, okay? Like Mercury, I guess, you know, Mars, um, the moon. I'm getting near the edge, okay, of my, of my understanding. If God listed out every single thing to the Hebrews, well, they'd just be the same thing that happened to you. What if God, in all of your wisdom, with all of your knowledge... I mean, after all, you've got the internet and encyclopedias and you even went to school and you know so much. And what if God sat you down right now and said, let me tell you everything I made. Your list might be longer than mine. You might get further than the moon. But let me tell you, in a short amount of time, your jaw is going to hit the table because God is infinite. And our limited minds can't grasp, can't grasp him. And so when God said the heavens and the earth, it was a mirrorism that represents everything. Now that's one, one, okay? But let's just talk about a, where we go in our minds. Where we go in our minds is, there's a misunderstanding, often in Christianity, And the misunderstanding is this, that maybe this isn't that big of a deal. You know, I know Jesus is my Savior. 
Okay, I come to church, I, I'm married to my wife, and I'm going to be, you know, faithful to her, and I'm, I'm going to love my kids, and I'm going to go to work on time, and I'm not going to speed, and it, it, I'm good, I'm good. And we tell ourselves that maybe this isn't that big of a deal. Maybe I can believe that the earth has been here for millions and billions of years. Maybe it's okay that, that the History Channel tells me that, that's, that we didn't come through any kind of fiat creation, but, but this happened all through evolution. Maybe that's okay. Listen, you are deceived if you think that is okay. So here's what I want to do. For the next eight minutes, okay, I want to overwhelm you. You better get your Bible out. And you get a better get ready to turn. Because I want to show you that from beginning to end, God says He's the Creator. It's not just in Genesis 1-1. You cannot rip out page 1 of your Bible and say, okay, now I'm, I believe in theistic evolution. You cannot do that. If you're going to rip the Bible, if you're going to rip God as the Creator from your Bible, you will have no Bible left. From beginning to end... In the law, in the prophets, in the writings, in the gospels, in the epistles, they're all proclaimed God is the creator. Moses, David, Paul, Peter, Luke, John, all declare God is the creator. In the New Testament history, in the New Testament gospels, in the New Testament epistles, in the New Testament prophecy, God is the creator. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, God is the creator. John the Revelator, God is the Creator. Jesus Himself truly believed that God made the heavens and the earth and spoke about Adam as if he really did exist. <laughs> what? Yeah. Jesus Himself believed that. Okay? So let's go. Let's go. Join me, join me in a quick walk through the Bible. Let's start out in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's number one verse of our whole Bible. But that's not the only place in the Torah that God told us that He created the heavens and the earth. Go in your Bible to Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. This is the Ten Commandments. You can't get much more basic to the Torah, the, the, the Pentateuch, than Exodus chapter 20. These are the Ten Commandments that we believe God wrote with His finger. God! The Creator God wrote this with His finger now, on stone. Do you believe that? This is what He said. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So if we're going to deny God as a Creator, we've got to rip out the Pentateuch. We've got to rip out the Decalogue. We've got to rip out the Ten Commandments. Because here we have God making a statement that us in our understanding, in our arrogance, in our pride, we don't really believe that to be true. Okay, go in your New Testament now. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Verse number 1. Listen. In the beginning was the Word. And by the way, in John 1.14, it makes it very clear that the Word is the Son. You can look at it when you turn there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now listen to verse number 3. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. 
So we now have to rip out the Gospel of John. Then what's your favorite verse? John 3.16, right? John says, only through Jesus was all of this made. And now go to just an unbelievable verse. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 says, defines for us what faith is. Verse number 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And we now go into the faith chapter as we see a demonstration of what it means to follow Christ by faith. We have examples of Moses and Abraham and David and, and over and over and over, all these people who are examples of faith. And we see that faith is, verse number 1, the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of, not thing, of things not seen. Verse number 3, by faith. We understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. That's fiat. There it is. By the Word of God, he, we, everything was created. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Ex nihilo. There it is. So what are we going to do with this? Are we going to erase it? Or are we going to believe? Augustine said this. Do you see that quote on your worship notes? Wow. I don't have it right here in front of me. Yes, I do. As a matter of fact. He said this. See, I don't memorize Augustine. But it's still a good point. If you believe what you like and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. Wow. Let me show you one more verse under this section that I'm labeling our beginning, just in case there's any doubt in your mind. Let's put Nehemiah chapter 9 up on the screen. Nehemiah, a historical book from the Old Testament. Okay? This, is, this, is not a, this is not a psalm, this is not a prophet, this is a historical record of God's interaction with his people. And listen to what the Lord says, what is said here in Nehemiah chapter 9. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth, and all that is on it, the seas, and all that is in them, and you preserve them all, and the host of heaven worships you. Amen. Okay, moving on to my next quick point. I want you to see that this is proclaimed throughout Scripture, and I've got to pick up the pace. But I want you to be overwhelmed. I sat with my Bible and my concordance going through and finding nearly every reference I could find to God being the Creator. And then I chose what I thought were the 35 best. <laughs> 35. And I want to share them all with you today. Can't do it, I know. But listen, listen let's just pick some of these, okay? In Deuteronomy chapter 4, we have listened to the word of God. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you. He will not destroy you. He will not forget the covenant with your fathers. For ask now the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth. Ask from one of the heaven to the other. When has this ever happened? He says, you, you won't find the time that God has abandoned his people. Acts chapter 14 Listen to the words of Paul in Acts chapter 14. Luke recorded this. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Again, in Acts. 
In Ephesians chapter 3, listen to verse number 8, 9, and 10. To me, Paul says, though I'm the very least of all the saints, grace was given to me that I might preach the gospel and to bring light to everyone what is the plain hidden mystery about God who created all things. Now turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. So now we're at the end. We go from the beginning to the end. Revelation chapter 4. Listen to verse number 11. Is now around the throne of God. People are crying out the praise of the Lord Jesus. And listen to what they say. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you, what? Created all things. And by your will they existed, and in case you didn't get it, all the host of heaven says, and were created. Folks, listen. Somebody's deceived. Somebody is deceiving. Either a group of scientists or the Spirit of God. Somebody's wrong. Let me put a verse up on the screen. This is the words of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus himself said. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. All through. Just for sake of time, I'm running out of time. You have to look at some of these verses on your own. Under the redeeming creator, man, which do I choose? Which do I choose? What do we have on the screen? Put it up on the screen for me. Let's go with that one. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to Paul now who's explaining the gospel. The gospel now is going to be explained. The thing that we hold is true. And listen to what he says. The first man, Adam, became a living being. Listen. If this took millions of years, if this happened through evolution, where's Adam? Who's Adam? What, what, this is only then, if we allow this to be just a, an idea of naturalistic development, then Adam is just an idea. Adam is just an just a illustration. But listen to Paul. The first Adam became a living being, and the last Adam became a, living, a, live, a life-giving spirit. You know what this means? We now have the Spirit of God taking Adam and saying, I'm going to look at Adam, and I'm going to look at Jesus. That's what he's doing here. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Here's what Paul is saying. Just as certain that Adam was made by God... You are just as certain as that truth as you should be that the Lord Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. If Adam didn't exist, if there is no Adam, then we have no faith. And Paul says we are to be pitied more than anybody. These are strong words. Strong words. One more. And it declares His glory. 
turn your Bible, you've got to go. I know it's getting late, but you've got to go to Isaiah chapter 45. You've got to go to Isaiah. You just have to. You cannot go a day without looking at Isaiah 45. Find it in your Bible. We're going to look at verse number 9 and a few that follow. Isaiah 45. Starts out with a very, it's a sad word. It's the word woe. It means pity. It means the one that's getting ready to be described after this, you should pity. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. Wow. Woe to the one who strives with the one who formed him. This is Isaiah chapter 45, verse number 9. A pot among earthen pots. You know what that means? Pictures a bunch of pots, and there's one pot there in the whole collection. And it stands up and says, Okay, God, I don't think you really made us. Woe to that pot. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or your work has no handles. I love that. One pot says to the pot, to the potter, that, that, there's not even a handle over there. What are you thinking, God? You see this accusation that's being made against the Creator? Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? What is it that you have done? What, have, what mistake have you made, God? You lied to us. You're deceived. You don't understand. You communicated truth that wasn't really true. You didn't get it. Or to a woman, With what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord the Holy One of Israel, and the One who formed Him. Ask Me of things to come. Will You command Me concerning My children and the work of My hands? Are You going to tell Me what I should have done? Are You going to tell Me what I did do? Are You going to tell Me how I worked? Is that what You're going to do? Listen to what He says. I made the earth, God says, and created man on it. It was My hands, oh, I love this, that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their hosts, and I have stirred Him up in righteousness, and I will make all his ways level. Listen, God has shown us from beginning to end about our beginning. He's proclaimed it throughout Scripture. God is the Creator. He is our redeeming Creator. Our redemption is intimately connected with our creation. And in His creation, we see His glory. One more verse. One more verse. I think I already said that once, but put it up on the screen. Listen to Colossians. For by Him, who? Jesus. All things were created. In heaven and on earth. What's that called? It's called a mirrorism. What does it mean? For better or for worse. Everything. And in case you don't get it, in case we don't understand it, visible and invisible. Anything that there is. Tell me, what else is there other than visible and invisible? Can you find me something that is invisible or invisible? I'd like to see that. Of course, then it'd be visible, huh? All things were created through Him and for Him. Now listen to where the passage goes. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. Now listen. If we're going to doubt the all things Above. If you're going to believe now, 
that Jesus didn't really make all things. This is just the way God is saying that. It's for dramatic effect. Okay. Then you better be consistent. Three verses later, when he says, through him to reconcile to himself all things. He is creator. Yes. He is our redeemer. It is the wonder of creation that the all-powerful God who made us saved us. And if we can look at God's Word and say, no, I will give priority to scientists, then what right do we have to not give God the authority when it comes to our redemption. Now, I want to say this. One of the things I'm committed to do over the next couple of weeks is I want to point you to resources, because I'm not a scientist, okay? And, and over on the table over there, a good friend of mine has highlighted three ministries that focus upon creation ministries. And if this is something that's in your wheelhouse, okay, maybe, maybe you're fine with b- being a biblicist, but you might be, it might be in your wheelhouse that you like science. Over there, you will find a document from the Institute for Creation Research, from Answers, Answers in Genesis, and from Creation Ministries. And these ministries, they have, different little, they have a different twist to them, okay? You can find them over there, and, and you will enjoy that reading. And there will be something fresh over there every single week, all summer, that relates to what we're going to talk about, a scientific background. I want to tell you about just some decent books that you might get your hands on, but you can't have these. Um, one is the Genesis Record. If you like science, you should read this book. If you're a believer in Christ and you're a scientist person and you haven't read this book, you are not being truly authentic in making your decision. Okay? That's the first one. The second one, if you have children and they have questions about creation, I point you to these resources. This is, now, this is from Answers in Genesis. It's written for a lay person. And this answers, I think, 20 or 50, 20 questions about creation. This, is, this talks about science for a lay person. If you're a biblicist, okay, here's the book I'm reading, all right? This is by a guy named, oh goodness, Kowalski, okay? Creation, Fall, Restoration. This is, there's not a whole lot of science here. You know why? Why? Because I'm a biblicist. The Bible takes priority. I want to know what the Bible has to say. I want to know what the Bible has to say. Great book. Great book. My point in bringing these things to you is there are an ample number of resources. But the place we're going to land here is the Genesis record of what God has done. I want to close out in worship. Okay? I want to close out in worship. So I'm going to have these guys come up here and and lead us in a song. Um, But as they work their way here, though, I just want to pray that God would draw us. So let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your will. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your world. And Lord, we can see from it that You are real and powerful. We can see Your character in seeing our world. And Lord, we want to give You priority. We want to make You have first place, that You would be firstborn over all creation. The priority. So Lord, we want to hear Your voice first. We want to run all other voices through Yours. 
Lord, we are ready to do that in many areas. And we've done that here, whether it comes to our sexuality and, and abortion and racism and these kind of areas. But Lord, we are just pummeled by those that say you're not the creator. So Father, bolster our faith in your words. And Lord, we want to worship you right now. We want to do what you've called us to do, and that is to declare your praises. So Father, as your created beings who only came to be because you spoke, we now speak to you praises. In Jesus' name, amen.